You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, just read a few verses in your hearing tonight. And again, I appreciate so much you being here. I want to encourage you. Um, the church that prays together saves together, but we also need to be a church that works together. I've noticed so much around the church that is, is in need and, and lacking things that we need to be uh, involved in. And uh, if you see something that needs doing, don't just go home and say, boy, then people ought to do something about that. Uh, but get involved and, uh, and plug in as the Lord would lead you and give you ability to do just that. The Bible says in Matthew 6, beginning in verse number 5, there's an assumption. The Bible says there are certain things that Jesus just assumes we're going to do, right, wrong, or otherwise. And when you pray, he's assuming we do pray. I wonder, are we people of prayer? It seems like sometimes we only pray as a matter of emergency as a nation and as a church. When things get bad, sometimes... You know, I will go in to make a visit, and people will be kind of funny. Sometimes I'll say, well, you mind if I pray with you? And they'll say, oh, my, has it come to that? Uh, but the fact of the matter is we need to be people of constant prayer, praying without ceasing. And the Bible says, and when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. Verily I say, they already have their reward. Isn't that amazing? The hypocrites, uh, the Pharisees, they, uh, they love to pray. They love to be called on. If they were in a group, they were the ones saying, ooh, 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 pick me. I want to pray because I want to impress everybody with my eloquence and with my ability to impress even God with the, with the wonderful ways that I pray. And they walk away from that prayer time boasting and feeling, boy, oh, boy, am I a great prayer. But he says, but thou, when thou hast prayest, uh, prayest, enter into thy closet. That is thy secret hidden place that maybe no one knows about. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when you pray, use not vain repetitions. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Thank you, Lord. For this good bread, whatever your prayer is, it's nothing wrong with that, especially when you're five. But when you're 55, maybe just have a little talk with Jesus. Just bear you know, your soul before him. And um, be not therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. What's he say? God knows our needs, but he does delight when we simply take time, be still, know that he is God, and pour our heart out. Before him, I want to ask you something. These first few verses are very personal. How's your prayer life? I want you to think about how you would pray if your child, your wife, your mother, your father were just diagnosed with a disease. You'd get serious about your prayer life. You would become very, uh, very careful and very crafted and and very cautious and and methodical in your prayer life. I mean. Uh, you'd probably even fast and, and be alone with God because there'd be something very urgent. May I say to you that everything around us is urgent. The nation that we live in, we're in an urgent need. Um, you know, and, and all of the things, we, we realize there's a lot of urgent things. Our church, we have an urgent need of prayer. I want to say this to you, and I want you to hear me. I, I'm praying for our church. I think things are, are good here. Things could be a lot better. 
Um, but on a numerical basis, this is the first time in 25 years of ministry that I've ever pastored a church that would fall in that category of plateaued or declining. Now, it doesn't mean the world's getting ready to come to an end, but it's just a realization. Uh, our finances are in an area that we need to pray that God would supply our need according to His riches and glory. Uh, our, our attendance, other things, we need to be people of prayer. Not just sit back and go, well, I told you you couldn't expect to ride this way forever. I knew something would happen. You know, God, this is a season and a time that we need to be praying, if, if ever. Uh, so realize that. But tonight I want us to look at verses, uh, basically verses 9 uh, down through 18. Not individually, but think about this from a corporate standpoint. Remember the church that prays together stays together. Okay, so, so think about the Lord's Prayer as it pertains to the church. That makes sense, amen. All right, well, that wouldn't much, but it'll, I'll take it. Let's go. And after this manner, church, pray. And it begins, now think about this, it's good stuff. Our Father, there's a unifying force. We don't just pray collectively for what we want as a church or what we want as a, a group, but we're praying under the sovereignty and under the almighty hand of God, our Father. We might not all have the same taste in music or the same preferences in style or, or the same desires and all, but we do, if we're a believer, we do have a common heavenly Father. So as we pray, there is a unifying force that we're driven together. You know, the Bible says that there's only one way to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ. So our relationship to the Father is common. And when we come into his presence, we realize it's not about me saying, God, I want you to bless me as the pastor of this church and I want you to give me what I want and me what I need and me what I desire. But our Father, church, we're coming together. We are following a common mandate our father there's unity in prayer in fact if you've got somebody that you've got an ought against or you've got a problem or issue with if you'll go and you'll spend some time praying with them and praying for them it has a way of bringing unity where there was disunity harmony where there was discord continue looking our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As a church, there needs to be a sense of awe in the presence of God. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that in most church services, and certainly here it's the case, prayer and doing business with God is almost an afterthought of most of our worship services. I mean, honestly, we sit down and we plan the services. We say, okay, we got an hour to plan. And I don't know about you, but the hour seems to go by kind of quickly. And uh, somebody says, of course it does. Time flies when you're asleep, you know, uh, or having fun, depending on your perspective. But that hour comes and goes very quickly. So we try to be very careful to make sure that we, you know, don't put too much music, but we have enough. We don't have too much of this. So, so we plan out, okay, we need a song to open the service. We're going to shake hands. We have another song. We're going to sit down. We're going to have announcements. We have another song. We're going to take up an offer. Oh, wait, wait a minute. We, we better throw in a prayer there. We better kind of throw in one somewhere along the way. And we've got to make it quick because we've got another song and the preacher's got to preach and we've got to do all these kind of things. So prayer has become sort of an afterthought of a service. It's an addendum we put on the end and we hope it doesn't last long. I mean, we all know people that through the years, maybe way back you can think of somebody that when the preacher called on them at the end of the service to pray, half the congregation just sat down because they knew it was going to be a long prayer. And people said, oh my goodness, you know. Now listen, I don't believe we all just pray long prayers for the sake of praying long prayers, but if we 
undervalue or devalue the importance of prayer, we're basically putting so much of the cart way yonder before the horse. We need to hallow the name of God. That's when we come into his presence. So think about this. It's Sunday morning. We've got our service going. And it comes time in the service for prayer. Is there a spirit of awe amongst the people of God? I mean, when somebody's called upon to pray, or when the pastor, one of the staff members stands up to pray, do the people of God realize we are now being issued into the very presence of God? We are literally coming into the throne room of the very creator of all of the universe. He has allowed us that right of petition through Christ, not of ourselves, we couldn't have done that, but through that, I mean, Sunday we're going to be looking at that picture of the veil being rent from the top to the bottom that gives us access to the Holy of Holies. But do we really appreciate uh, the, the amazing privilege of prayer? When we do, then it creates within the church a sense of awe. As a church, we need to always keep that sense of awe of the things of God. Today I was able to meet at lunch with four gentlemen and they had uh, never been to, to White Lake and one had, the other three had not. And the other three, they were just in awe. They said, this is amazing, the beauty and, and the facility there that, that the Lord's blessed us with and all these things. And, and, and I realized, to be honest with you, after six weeks of hard work, I'm sore and half wore out, you know. And I, I'm afraid maybe just in six weeks I've lost a little bit of the sense of awe the hand of God. I will say that any time I stand behind this sacred desk or the sacred desk there at the lake, I am in awe of the very fact that God would allow me the privilege of preaching. But I hope we never lose that sense of awe. Like a child had a sense of awe of something big, and when we grew up, we looked at it and said, it's not all that big. I'm afraid that the longer we serve the Lord, if we're not careful, it will become mundane and repetitive and ritualistic to where, to where as a church, we're no longer in all the things of God. Now, I want to tell you, I'm excited about something. Beginning the Sunday after Thanksgiving, it's like the 26th of November, I believe it is, we're going to have some revival services. But I believe we're going to have revival. The pastor that's coming, Tom Wagner, I shared Sunday, I believe, uh, just a great preacher, and uh, he and I have begun praying, and he's fasting one day a week already, you know, about this revival, and, um, and it's going to be good. And um, we're, we're going to, on Sunday morning, kind of kick things off with a, uh, the anchorman, and then on Sunday night, Tom's going to be here, and the choir from Central Baptist is going to be here. They have about 75 in their choir, so we're going to do service out in the Family Life Center probably. And, um, and you know what? My hope is between now and November 26th, the people in Dublin and the people at the lake and the people in our community are going to get a sense of awe and, 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 and excitement and, and wow, you know, about this revival, not just, well, you know, and I'm going to tell you, the enemy wants to snatch it away before you ever get a good dose of it. You know? But I think, there, I think God's going to do something. I think, listen, we need revival. If ever we needed revival, I need revival. Our leadership needs revival. We as a people need revival. But it's not just going to happen because we plan out a series of services. But I believe if we are, are people over these next three or four months, if we are people of absolute, three months, if we're people of absolute prayer and committing ourselves, God, we truly desire revival. God, we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to seek your face. Then the Bible says he will hear our prayer and he will revive our land. Hallowing his name. Number, verse number 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now remember, this is from the church's perspective. The church that prays together stays together. So as a church, what are we praying for? God, do kingdom work right here. 
God, we don't want to just do church work. You know, we can do church. We can do church. But there's a difference in doing church and doing kingdom work. Now, I don't mean to sound critical at all, but I go to a lot of places and preach in a lot of churches that do church. You look in their bulletin, and they know how to do church, and they have services, and they're doing church, and everybody's dressed a certain way, and they're doing church, and everybody's acting a certain way, and they're doing church. And I wonder, the moment the service is over, how many have quit doing church until next week when they come back and do church? But it's not about church, and it's not about a ritual. It's about an ongoing relationship where day by day we are seeking to fulfill God's will and to do kingdom work. Tommy's been speaking on Sunday night about being connected. And it's all about not just being connected to one another, but about being plugged into what God is doing. The old experience in God's study. Look at where God's at work and join him. Don't fight against him. Don't kick at the pricks. Just get involved and join him in the work, in the kingdom work that he's doing. I'm grateful for the kingdom work. And I would submit to you, I think we're doing a lot of kingdom work. And I think that's why we do come under the attacks. And that's why we do uh, face the enemy on a daily basis. Let me just tell you, you want to have a, a smooth sailing church? You want to have a church where there'll be no argument, no fussing, no fighting. Everybody get along. Everybody love one another. If you turn the church and become so inwardly focused that the church is no threat to the enemy, the enemy will leave you alone. He will. He'll just say, hey, they're not, they're, not, they're not bothering me. They're no threat to me. I'll just leave them alone. I'll not come against them. I'll not try to sow discord. I'll not throw, try to throw darts of, of dissension. I'll just leave them alone. And I go in some of those churches, and I enjoy being in those churches. And sometimes I'll get back, get invited back to come do a revival, and I'll, and I'll go back in there, and they're just loving on one another just like they were the last time I was there. And I look out, and I say, wow, it's the exact same crowd that was there last year and the year before because that's the way they like it, and they're really not doing a lot of kingdom work I pray we would never get to the point that we're just doing church I think we can get lulled into that so thy kingdom come thy will be done we're going to be forming a committee and looking for another associate pastor and youth minister and you might be tempted to think man he runs them off about as quick as we can get one well you know it just is what it is I reckon but you know, we're going to do our best not just to find somebody that I like or that you like or whatever it might be, but God, you send. You send that person to us. Let us be people who are discerning and uh, people that are, are, are very in tune with your heart so we know and, and we'll be obedient uh, to you in, in that endeavor and protect us from, from anyone that might come and bring about division or dissension. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Verse number 11, and this is what we were talking about a moment ago. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily provision. There is nothing wrong as a church with asking God to provide for our need. Now, just like Sunday's message, I preached about how God met the needs of a hungry group of people through the gift of a little boy. The fact of the matter is that if we pray, God, supply our needs so that we will accomplish kingdom work, because we really want to do that. Now, God could take some dear sainted millionaire home and have that millionaire leave us and endow us with a million dollars. God could choose to provide our needs that way. He's never done it before, but he could. But most likely, this is how God will provide for our needs. God will begin working in the heart of the young person who was never taught as a child to tithe. Now, y'all understand, this is the first generation 
that's coming up that was never taught to tithe. And God will move in the heart of the middle-aged folks who have gotten caught up in a culture where their cell phone bill is far more than their tithe. God will begin working and somebody will say, you know what, I need to get my priorities in order. And people will begin giving. The dear senior saints that some have a tendency to think, well, I've done my part and I've given all these years. It's time for me just to kind of hold on. And God will begin working. And then all of a sudden, without a single millionaire dying and endowing us with a million bucks, God has provided our need. According to his riches and glory, you see, it's kind of like that pass it on. God's provided for the needs of families and the families have prioritized tithing and they've given and they've supported the work of the church. Continue looking. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Much of this text, and it continues on in verse number 14 and 15 about forgiveness, I want you to think about how that pertains to the church. I would submit to you that the number one problem in probably 90% of our plateaued and declining churches across this nation is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Something happened to somebody along the way and they're not going to let it go. Now we understand personally and we pray forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But think about how that relates to the church. Think about how that relates to the body of Christ. Unforgiveness will prevent kingdom work from coming. Unforgiveness will prevent our daily bread from being provided. Unforgiveness will keep us from being able to hallow the name of God. Unforgiveness will prevent us from being able to collectively come together and say, Our Father. Unforgiveness will become that root that divides the church to the core. This series of verses tells us that unforgiveness is not an option. It's just not. What is it that prevents us from forgiving? Sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's hurt, but I think it's just human nature. Human nature. We're seeing a nation right now that is so divided and there's so much hate and there's so much anger and the only hope is the gospel of Christ. The gospel unifies. But why is it that the church an institution that is to be founded upon the gospel, to be built upon the gospel, to thrive through the power of the gospel, to have as its center core of belief the gospel and its center commission as our action to spread the gospel. How can it be that there's so much anger and hurt and resentment? I don't know. Other than that's one of those darts of the enemy. Tonight as a church, and I realize that so many folks don't come on Wednesday nights and those kind of things. And, and I'm angry at them and hurt, but I will forgive them. Um, but I wonder, and, and a church body our size, are there things that we need to deal with? You know, deal with and, and get it out and, and, and allow healing to take place. I'm going to say this, and I'm not plotting one against the other or comparing one, so don't, don't go down that road, Okay. There's too much fake news out there on, in, in the world. We don't need it in the church. Sometimes people over the last three years have said, man, the lake church, the lake church, the lake church, it's, it's a special place. And, this, and one of the reasons is because there's no history. 
Okay? And where there's no history, there's no unforgiveness. There's not been long enough for people to get hurt or people to be angry or people to have baggage or people to have experiences that they're hanging on to. But give it time. And after three years, they're beginning to be some, you know, just things that happen from time to time that people might not agree on something um, and that kind of thing. I realized when we purchased property and began going kind of to that next step that that was going to open up the door to more business and more area of division. For three years, all we've done is met in worship. And I wonder, has the church become so out of focus on kingdom work and it has become so about us that unforgiveness becomes almost like it's like a breeding ground for unforgiveness. I promise you in every church service there's going to be something that offends you. And understand, I, I'm not scripted. I don't work off of a, of a teleprompter. And uh, there, there are services that I get go out of here and I go, I cannot believe I said that. That was dumb. So when you're at home going, I can't believe he said that. That was dumb. I'm right with you, all right? And I have to learn to eventually forgive myself because no matter how hard I try, I can't take it back. There are times you have to forgive folks and realize they're human. They're, if you're a Sunday school teacher, I promise you, there are going to be times that somebody's going to be offended by something that you said. Um, I remember years ago, I made the mistake... Um, we, I was just cutting the fool. I didn't think nothing of it. And uh, somebody said, Preacher, do you think it's a sin for a woman to wear makeup? And I said, No, I think for some it would be a sin not to wear makeup. I mean, how many of y'all think that's kind of funny? Okay, just a little bit. Okay, just a little bit. And I was just joking. I mean, everybody picks on me. I mean, when you look like this, people pick on You know why I don't have any hair? Does everybody know why, I have no, why I'm bald-headed? Because about five years ago, Betty Cole told me I had the perfect shaped head. If I just shaved my head, it would look perfect. So I went home and shaved my head. True story. Is it true? True story. But people make fun of me all the time, y'all. But sometimes you say things and, and people get offended. I didn't mean anything by that. I'm, I'm not anti-woman. My wife's a woman. My mama's a woman. And my little girl's a woman. I love all three of them. And I, but sometimes people get offended, even when you didn't mean to offend somebody. I promise you, if you say much in life, you're going to offend somebody. Did you know that? You're, you're going to. And if everybody that gets offended just kind of puts it in their back pocket and says, I'm going to hang on to this. I'm not going to turn it loose. In, in 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, love keeps no record of wrongs. I, I love it, the Etch-A-Sketch illustration. No matter what happens in a day, at the end of the day, just shake it and let it be clear. And the next morning, just move. Don't, don't hang on to it. Continue looking. Need to close Lead us not into temptation. Man, I wish we could camp out on this point for a little bit, but I camped out on the last one, so I can't. What are the temptations for the church? Temptation to be satisfied? To be complacent? Hey, let me tell you something. Now, the Lord knows that I've repented of this. But over this summer, and every summer attendance falls off a little bit, but over the last couple of months, we've not been jam-packed, crammed in here. And there's been just a little bit of me that's been relieved, kind of, well, at least we've got now a little bit of breathing room. Well, that's wrong. That's bad, okay? But the enemy can tempt us to say, hey, if the church falls off a little bit, then you're not quite as pressured to build. You're not quite as pressured to go down this road that's going to be difficult and all of that, right? Um, so sometimes we're tempted to get complacent. 
or satisfied or just to that point that the status quo is enough. Sometimes we're tempted to, to kind of take things and go and say, well, this is what I want. This is what I desire. You remember the episode of Andy Griffith where they'd been left a little bit of money and three groups in the church wanted three different things. Some wanted to level the church up because it was sinking on one side. Some wanted choir robes so the choir would look better. And then some men wanted a pool table so they could meet in the basement and, and play pool. And it was a, a comedy. But there was a whole lot of truth in that. Sometimes we're tempted. Everybody said, well, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. Other temptations for the church that exist. There's always going to be a temptation. But deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever and ever. In other words, God, it's not about us. Forgive us so that we might be focused on what you have for us. Verses 16 through 18 deal with fasting. I know that's something we don't talk a lot about in the church, in the Baptist church. We ought to. It is biblical. Um, it is something that allows us to have an extra a measure of time where we are concentrating and spending time alone with God. Uh, how many of you would be honest and say you really look forward to a meal? Thank you. I mean, you know, there's just something about it. You know, um, I, I told somebody the other day, I, 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 you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm dealing, I was dealing with lust in a restaurant. I had ordered water. And actually it was not at a restaurant. It was at Duke Hospital on Monday morning. And I went down to the, to the cafeteria and I was there with the pastor friend of mine having breakfast and I'd gotten water. And I looked over and there was another character over there and he was drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper. And before I knew it, I was, I was foaming at the mouth. I was lusting after his Diet Dr. Pepper, you know. And, uh, but anyway, um, you know, that we just crave things. Well, fasting is when we take those things that we're craving and we say, I'm going to put that to the side today so that my heart will crave that intimacy with God. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if we'd wake up of a morning and we'd crave intimacy with our Heavenly Father the way we do, I don't know, some extra crispy bacon and some grits and some scrambled eggs with a little bit of cheese and some old cathead biscuits? Wouldn't that be great? You see, I do believe we can get so to the point that everything exists within the physical that we've misplaced where the spiritual is. The church that prays together, she'll stay together. But if the enemy can cause us to concentrate on our efforts away from prayer instead of on prayer, then uh, we are sorely mistaken and probably headed in the wrong direction. As we close in prayer tonight, we do want to remember all those. I'd ask you.